Luke chapter 5, we are looking at a very familiar story for us, healing the paralytic. Maybe from a perspective you've not considered before, uh, it, I don't think I had heard it put quite this way, uh, and I think it's a great way for us to approach it. Uh, if you're excited that football season's back, could you say Amen. Wow, okay. If you're excited that Jesus saved you, could you say amen? Okay, well, you're alive. You're awake. Good. All right. I love football, all right? And, and my, my uh, analogies and examples tend to flow from that. I get it. I understand it. Not everybody likes football like I do. Uh, some people, you know, yay, yay sports guys. Everybody have fun. Um, but I love football. I watch it. I attend the games when I can, I wear the clothes, I, I support it, I've coached little ones, not big ones in football, I'm doing fantasy football this year, never done that before, that's interesting, but I have to confess, I have never played a down of organized football in my entire life, never, I started to play in the sixth grade and decided it was too much effort and uh, quit. And, well, didn't quit, just never actually went out. Um, I love it, but I've, I've never taken part, really. I, I'm, I've, I've contributed a lot of money to LSU, uh, but I've never played. I'm, I'm not a player. I've never been on the field. I've never, never been uh, lining up across from someone to contribute but I'm not a player. Every member of the kingdom of God is a player. If you're a believer, if you are a Christian, if you're a follower, a disciple of Jesus, you are a player. That's your calling. That's your purpose. Now, we have other roles, too. There are going to be coaches, and they are going to be uh, Tiger Athletic Foundation members that give a lot of money, and there are going to be all these different parts that are played, front office and equipment managers, and all of that, those are all roles that we play in the kingdom, but those roles are never meant to take the place of being a player. It may be a dual role, you're a player coach, you're a player manager, you're a, a player uh, supporter, you're a player uh, whatever, but you are supposed to be in the game as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, and not just a contributor or a sideline person or a cheerleader or anything like that. And we can become a player in the game by focusing on our one, like these fellows did here in our story today. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. On one of those days, while he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came, carrying on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. 
Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. Luke chapter 5 gets us into the very early stages of uh, Jesus' ministry. He's just started out. He, not long before this, has called the disciples to follow him. We talked about that last week, the calling of the disciples. And the scripture tells us he is empowered and directed by God. He is empowered by God to heal. And and that's where we find him, empowered and directed by God. He's doing the very things God tells him to do, and he is acting on the power that God has giving, given him. And he's not got some minuscule task. He, at this point in time, not only is he preaching faith in himself, which is daunting, uh, I would say, he is taking on a behemoth of tradition and legalism. Everywhere he goes now, these teachers and Pharisees are following him. In other places we see, they're just trying to trip him up. They're trying to find something to nitpick about and say, oh, see, he's, he's not who he says he is. They try to foil his plans at every turn. That's their goal, and that is their purpose. And as we look at this passage, though, that's some of our background in verses 17 uh, in verse 17, as we look at this passage, though, we're going to focus on, and, and I have on here the four friends. We don't know how many there were. we're we assume four, one for each uh, corner of the stretcher. May have been two, may have been three, may have been 60. Who knows? All the pictures, I think, that we saw in Sunday school have four guys on it. All the pictures that I have. These guys, these men, were players in the game. They weren't on the sideline. They absolutely had and knew who their one was on this day. We see, first of all, of these men, these men had a mission. Verses 17 and 18, we've got the background. Jesus teaching. He's empowered to heal. The Lord's power to heal is on him. And just then, some men carrying a stretcher, on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in. They wanted to bring him to Jesus. They had a mission. We all have a mission. We all have something we get up every day to do. We have a purpose we are working toward. Maybe our mission on that day is to go to work. That's that's our mission. Go and get the job done and go home. Uh, We are doing that maybe for a good retirement, to take care of our family, to provide for them. Maybe our mission on that particular day at that particular time is to find the newest flavor of Bluebell that doesn't seem to go to all the grocery stores in the area. It just goes to a couple for whatever reason, and you have to drive around the Tri-City area finding the grocery store that has it. At least some people do. Maybe our mission that day is just to make it to the couch, get up out of bed, 
and make it to the couch. Maybe our mission is to throw, not throw the remote at the TV when LSU is playing poorly or makes a bad play, which we didn't have to do last night. Mission accomplished. We have all these missions, and, and I, this just scratches the surface, but we all have something we are setting out to do, maybe on a daily basis, maybe we have a much longer uh, term mission in mind, but that which we put the most effort toward is our mission. That's what our mission is. We may say, well, my mission's to do X, but if I'm working for Y all the time, clearly my mission is Y, not X. What we put our effort toward is our mission. Companies have a mission. They, they state a mission. Instagram, for example, their mission is to capture and share the world's moments. That is their mission. That's Instagram's mission. Their stated mission. Facebook, their mission is to help grandmas see pictures of their grandkids. I don't, think, I don't know if that's their stated mission, but that has become their mission. That's what Facebook is for. Twitter, their mission, to start an argument. The, again, these may not be the exact phrasing that these companies use, but they all have a mission. They have a purpose for their existence. They know what they are working toward. They have a mission. And, and the employees, the owners, they get up every day and they go to work to try to achieve the mission of the company. So companies have missions. See, we all have missions. Jesus had a mission. Luke 19.10 tells us what Jesus' mission is. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's why he was here. That's why he came. He had a mission in his every day, his every moment. Certainly everything we have recorded about him in Scripture points or shows us how he is pointed toward and seeking to achieve that mission. These men had a mission, and they were driven to get their friend to Jesus. That was their mission. Get their friend to Jesus. That day, that's all they were thinking about. Maybe they had been planning. Maybe they had seen the flyers come here, the new teacher that had been put up around town. Maybe they didn't plan the event. Maybe Jesus just showed up that day and they heard about it. But they knew that the, 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 the ripples of rumors had been going, have you heard about the new teacher? Have you heard about the things he's saying? Have you heard about the things he is doing? And these men's mission was to get Jesus, or get their friend to Jesus. If we get a chance, we are going to take him to Jesus. That was the driving force behind everything they did that day. That's why they got up that morning. That's why they did what they did. And we're going to see as we move through the passage that nothing would deter them. And they pursued this mission with confidence. That was their mission. Believers, what drives you? What drives you as a believer? We know our mission. Jesus gave it to us at the end of Matthew to make disciples. That's our mission. So what are you working toward? Do you get up in the morning and go to work so you can make disciples? You have one mission as a believer, one we have, maybe have some goals in life, but our only mission as a believer is to make disciples. And maybe we're wondering or thinking, I don't know how. I, I don't know how that's going to work. 
Y'all, three circles, concentric circles. Who's your one? We are giving you tools and encouragement and scriptural mandate and hopefully courage and confidence to do these things. But let me tell you how you can begin now to make disciples, to reach your one. Ask God to put unattainable, eternal kingdom dreams on your heart. Ask him to put unattainable, eternal kingdom dreams on your heart. God, give me something, give me a person that I would think will never come to you. Give me a ministry, give me a disciple opportunity, a discipleship opportunity that if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. If you don't intervene, there's no way I'm going to reach this person. And then make that your mission. Then make that your mission. The unattainable, eternal kingdom dream that God puts on your heart. These men had a mission. Secondly, these men had an eager expectation. The last half of verse 18. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Set the paralytic down before Jesus. Why were they so focused? Why did they have this mission? Because they believed Jesus could perform a miracle. They knew he could. They believed this is why. Otherwise, why are they bringing him to Jesus? Just take him to any old physician, any old healer, any old crackpot that says, yeah, I can heal people. Come on, bring him five bucks. I can do it. I promise. They didn't. They had a single focus, a single mission, because they had an eager expectation. They believed Jesus could perform a miracle. Now, on that trip, that little jaunt from the paralyzed man's house to the house where Jesus was teaching, I'm fairly confident that they worried a little bit. JR, they must not have taken our lesson this morning from Sunday school. Uh, and they, they probably worried just a touch. I'm sure they fretted a little bit. You can see them carrying this guy. Maybe it was two of them doing this or four of them, you know, one on each corner. And, and you can, can kind of see them. Imagine them. I can. Look at each other. <sighs> Hope this works. Yeah, he's, he's supposed to be this miracle worker, and I've heard about some incredible thing man hope it works no doubt that ran through their minds but that did not stop their expectation they still believed they still expected you could almost hear them as as one uh uh, person that Jesus heals later on says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. You can, you can almost hear that, or you can at least, I think, expect that. They, they, yes, he can do it. He absolutely can do this. I know he can do this. Man, I hope he does this. They expected God to do something. These guys took a risk. Because it, it was a risk. Uh, scripture doesn't record anybody coming to Jesus asking for healing and not being healed. And probably it never happened that someone came to him to be healed and Jesus didn't heal him or her. 
I mean, there are even people, you know, the, the woman with the issue of blood, she didn't even really come to him. She just kind of grabbed the hem of his garment, hoping that would work. And even she was healed. But there was still a risk here. There was a risk that they would, that Jesus, for whatever reason, would say, nope, that's not what I have for this person. Or, no, they couldn't get to him, like the obstacle that they're going to face, or something else. But they still took the risk, and they put out the effort because of their expectation. They acted on their expectation. We look throughout the Old Testament, and we see over and over people taking a risk. We can go back to Joshua in the Old Testament. As he took over from Moses, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. And it's interesting that he did because there was uh, the chance things weren't going to go as well as Joshua thought they might. As a matter of fact, God's going to give some commands to Joshua that aren't going to make a lot of sense. So Joshua, be strong and courageous to do what I tell you to do, even when you think, hey, this isn't right. For example, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And how is he going to fit that battle? Marching, trumpets, and yelling. Y'all, that's not a battle plan. Not, even, even the certain number of times and all those sorts of things, that's not a battle plan. And, and God tells Joshua this. We don't see that Joshua, God told the people. So picture this for a second. God and Joshua together and Joshua off talking to God. And God says, here's what I want you to do, Joshua. And Joshua's like, yeah, I've got an idea too. You know, we're going to line up the military men this way. And we've got the siege engines. We're going to take the walls in this manner. We're going to do all these things. And, and God said, well, hold on, hold on. Here's what I want you to do, Joshua. March around and yell. Oh, and play trumpets. And Joshua's like, and then... Then we fight, then we sh and take the walls. Mm -mm, no, this is it. This is what I want you to do. Now go tell the people. Go tell your military commanders. Go tell the leaders of the army, this is how we're going to fight. I'm sure, just like y'all are, that everybody in the military went, well, that makes perfect sense. Right? Because that's what you're thinking. Absolutely. He told Joshua, can, can you hear the people? Moses would have never done it this way. Moses would have led right. Moses would have had different ideas. Moses was nicer than this. this is, he is going to get us killed. He is intentionally taking us to the wall of Jericho because he doesn't love us. He's going to get us killed. See, that's not a battle plan, but it is for God. That is a battle plan for God. See, some of y'all are worried about our budget issues. And I look at the budget and I'm concerned too. But we ought to be stomping our feet, playing our music, and yelling to the top of our lungs how much bigger God is than any need or problem we might have. God doesn't need budgets. God doesn't care about budgets. God doesn't need money or is concerned about money. God cares about people being obedient and marching around a wall and yelling when he tells them to. And then he does the work. God said take Jericho and they expected to take it. God said make disciples FBC Sulphur and we expect to make them. 
Later on, Joshua needed more daylight for another battle. They were running out of time. I know what that's like. So God stopped the sun for almost a full day, Joshua 10, 13 says. For almost a full day. Some of y'all are already looking at your watches. How long is this one going to take? Because it's, it's, it's 11.35 and... I mean, 1125, and it sounds like he just got started. He's just on point two. You're right. Some of y'all are worried about 10 minutes on Sunday when you should be looking to the sky to see how God is going to use this time to bring victory in your life. You need to look and see what God is going to do. Joshua expected God to use that time, that whole extra day. That means they didn't get to sleep. That means they'd fought all day, and then suddenly they'd have a whole other day to fight. And God used that time to bring victory. We should come into worship expecting God to do his work on the battlefield of our hearts. God, take the time you need. We look at Elijah. Elijah took a risk. Elijah took a bunch of risks. But we can look at the uh, Mount Carmel. He let the prophets of Baal go all day. And they couldn't get the, don't miss this, they could not get their God of thunder to send a lightning bolt. Baal was their god of storms. Should have been easy for him to light something on fire. They could not get him to do it. And so when it was Elijah's turn, he wasted water. Remember, they're in the middle of a drought. And he takes all this water, this precious resource, by putting uh, this precious resource, and puts this precious resource on the sacrifice, making the sacrifice unburnable. Think of the people standing around looking at Elijah going, You want that to burn, right? And we don't have much water at all. Three years into a drought, two and a half years into a drought. And you're going to waste our water to put it on a sacrifice that you're trying to get to burn. This does not make sense. You're wasting our precious resource. What's a precious resource that we think we can't waste? On obedience. But God burned it up anyway. He took it all out, took the water, the sacrifice, the altar, licked it all up, the dirt that was around it. It got all burned up by God who said, your resources don't matter to me. I will do what I will do if you will be obedient. And the people worshipped God because he had shown his glory. Some of y'all are looking around and you're worried about everyone that's against you. You're worried about your resources or the resources. When you need to see the glory of the one who is for you. You need to see the glory of God that says your resources don't matter. I do. I'm the God of everything. Not just the God of thunder. Not the God of water. Not the God of money. Not the God of budgets. Not the God of abilities. Not the God of anything but everything. And I can do what I want to. Elijah expected God to pull a miracle from an impossible situation. A situation that God had commanded, don't forget that. Where he used up resources he couldn't spare. We should expect that God will pull a miracle from our obedience. Even when our obedience is ridiculous recklessness in our own eyes. We are called to be obedient and that's it. Ratshack and Benny took a risk. If you're not a VeggieTales fan, Ratshack and Benny is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Took a risk. 
They would not bow to a false god, they said, man or statue. And their punishment was a fiery death. They, they got to watch the guys that were going to throw them in at first burn up because the furnace was so hot. Their response to the command from the king to bow down to the statue or to him was, throw us in. That's fine. And God will save us. Or he won't. Either way, we won't go out betraying our God. We won't go out being disobedient. Some of y'all are thinking of bowing to the will of a prideful few when you need to bow your knees to the one who can save you or take you. It's up to him. That is who we bow to, though. Rakshak and Benny expected that God could save them from the furnace. They expected it. But if he did or if he didn't, he was still a good God with a good plan to whom they would be obedient. We expect that God can resurrect, restore, and revitalize our church. But even if he doesn't, we will still bow our knees in obedience to his plan, not the plan of a few. We will be obedient to him first and no one else. The truth is, faith in God is no risk at all. It's not a risk. It was no risk for these guys carrying the paralytic. It was no risk for Joshua. It was no risk for Elijah. It was no risk for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it is no risk for us to step out on faith when God has commanded us to be obedient. It's no risk at all. It's no risk. It's not a risk. Because God commanded it. Therefore, it's not a risk. Can somebody hear me? It's not a risk to step out in faith. And obedience because we step out in confident expectation. The Bible word for that is hope. And that is the engine of our mission. Hope. Confident expectation. That if we have our one, we will be obedient and we will reach that one. Or we won't. But we will still be obedient. And he will bless that. Number three. These men encountered an obstacle. Verse 19. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd. Couldn't do it. They got there and it was blocked. They couldn't get close to Jesus. Probably they couldn't even get close enough to hear him. Much less do anything with him. Fulfilling the mission is rarely easy. Fulfilling the mission is rarely easy. They could have given up, right? At that point they just could have said, well, we tried. They could have given up on the mission and their expectation, their hope could have been dashed at that point. Left it lying on the street along with the paralytic. They brought him to Jesus and they can't get to Jesus. Guy, we tried. Sorry, we wanted to. I mean, it's kind of like wanting to get to the opening of the new Star Wars movie. And you go and you stand in line for the tickets. And by the time you get to the ticket taker, everything's full. You got to wait till the next day. Well, we tried. Time to go home. And at that point, yes, it is. But this is not that situation. See, we might say that was a closed door. You well, we tried and it didn't work out. God closed that door. We tried, but the door closed on us, so we need to stop doing that and do something else and go home. These guys would stop at nothing to get their friend to Jesus. Because they knew the most important thing was not their comfort, not that what they saw, not how they thought they were going to work this plan out, but that God had told them to bring their friend to Jesus, and they were not going to stop trying to do that. What stops you? What do you call a closed door? 
There would likely be no church today if believers only went through open doors. Let's read about some, old, uh, some New Testament closed doors. I mean, just pick a page and find where the doors close on our, uh, our forefather believers. When we say open door, what we really mean is easy. That's an open door. If it's easy, that's an open door. If it's hard, that's a closed door. That is not scripture. There is nothing about the Christian life, about making disciples, that's easy. Nothing. Nothing. But that's what we want. Well, the door closed. Y'all, my one, I know who my one is already, and I've known it for probably a year. There have been three or four times my one has made comments to me like, eh, pray for me in case it'll do any good. Or, I hope to make the heaven someday. We'll see. Would anybody testify that that was an open door for a conversation? And you know what I did? Man, I'm on my way out. I got to get somewhere. Well, okay, but that's not it. That's not the answer, but I got to go. It was a closed door, right? Because I had to be somewhere else. That's a closed door. That's what, it would have been hard. I'd have had to miss something. Or I would have had to have done something else or adjust. I can't do that. I've got other things. I'm busy. That was a closed door. No, that was an open door. And I didn't walk through it because it wasn't easy. Some of y'all see a closed door and you go home. When you need to see the stairs and start climbing. Some of y'all say, well, the door is shut, we can't go that direction, when what we need to do is say, no, this is where we're going, we just got to find a different route to get there. When you're acting in obedience, that closed door is just an opportunity for you to exercise your faith and find the new way God has for you to accomplish his will. I don't know if you're listening. So when you're acting in obedience, that closed door is just an opportunity for you to exercise your faith and find the new way God has for you to accomplish his will. There's a calling on your life right now, every one of you, that a closed door has derailed. You've backed off. You said, nope, the door closed. I can't go through there. It is time for you to dig a hole through the roof. Ignore the closed door. You know what you've been called and commanded to do. Now, do it, and don't worry about the closed door. Number four, these men got more than they bargained for. Verses 20 through 26. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Y'all don't think I can do that, Pharisees? Which is easier, forgive sins or heal somebody? So they know I can do both? Get up and walk. And he did. That's the condensed version. These guys, when they brought their friend, they were looking for healed legs, and Jesus gave him a healed heart and healed legs. They got both. They got what they wanted, but they got more. But notice, the paralyzed man got his soul and eternity taken care of first. And in reality, the truth of the matter is, if Jesus had stopped there, if he had stopped with, son, your sins are forgiven, and gone back to teaching, that would have been enough. Let's go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
even if he kills us, we will still be obedient. They were confident of their eternity. It did not matter what happened on this earth in this situation at this point in time. It would have been enough. See, Jesus knew that man's greatest need. He knew that man's greatest need was not to be healed in his legs, but to be healed in his heart. He knew for a fact, I can do both of them. And I can do them anytime I want to. But I'm going to respond to his faith today and heal his soul. And then I'm going to heal his legs. We as individuals, we as a church, do not need some external tweaking. But we need an internal overhaul. It would have been external tweaking to heal those guys' legs and let him die and go to hell later on. It was an internal overhaul that came in and changed his heart and then worked on the outside too. Some of y'all want to come to church for a feel-good pick-me-up when you need your soul crushed so God can rebuild and renew you. This is not a place to put on a little makeup little spiritual makeup so we look a little bit better and feel a little bit better about ourselves. But it, has come, it is a place where we come to be crushed by God so he can make us into something brand new. He can mold us and make us. Thank you. I don't mind that one bit. No, ma'am. You go right ahead. Jesus, or rather this paralytic man, came in through that roof, a hell-bound paralytic, and walked out a saved medical miracle. They were astounded at what he could do, at what Jesus could do. We read some of these stories, and we've heard them so many times, that I think we just miss the awe and the impressive nature of this. This is not a cute, a cute story. It's crazy that God could do that through his son, Jesus Christ. And people were in awe because they knew they had seen God work. Do not, believers, loved ones, friends, family, my church, do not settle for the mundane when Jesus offers the miraculous. Don't settle for what you think you can do or what we think we can do when God is saying, I've got the power to do infinitely more through you than you can imagine. Some of y'all need to see the miracles that God is doing in the lives of people that First Baptist Church Sulphur is touching rather than looking for human solutions to mundane trivialities that are no impediment to an omnipotent God. We need to see what God is doing in hearts and celebrate that. And the rest of the stuff God will take care of. They are no impediment to him. Money's not a problem. Budgets aren't an issue. Staffing does not matter to God. He says, be obedient and I will do incredible things. Have the same individual expectation for your one. Not a mundane response but a miraculous work in the life of the one God has given you. See, Jesus doesn't want to fix something in your one. He wants to make your one brand new. A different one. So you have to find a new one to go after. It's time to start casting your net for your one. We talked about it last week. Making this... Uh, being fishers of men. Daryl Robinson said this in his book, People Sharing Jesus. 
and his analogy was fishing, not football. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around, and in fact the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, those who call themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about the task of fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means. They defended fishing as an occupation, and they declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of a fisherman. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing, for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. And the plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. But the one thing they didn't do, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized the board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. They hired staff and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, defend fishing, and decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and committee members didn't fish. Large, elaborate, expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered in the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many were graduated and given the fishing license that they were hoping for. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters, which were filled with many fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and prayed over and sent to fish, but like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way so the fish would know the difference between a good and bad fisherman. Others felt that simply letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were surely en were surely enough. Now, it's true that many fishermen sacrificed. They put up with all kinds of difficulties and some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every single day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen, yet they never fished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who didn't fish were really not fishermen at all. No matter how much they claimed to be, yet it did sound correct. Is a person a, person a fisherman if year after year he never fishes? Or more plainly stated, is one really following if he never finish, if he never fishes? Believer, who's your one? Who are you fishing after? Take up the mission with expectation that obstacles are of no consequence and that God will do more than you expect. That's how we fish. That's how we go after men, as Jesus called us to. Your calling is greater than your comfort. Is it comfortable to fish all day? I'm asking like real fishermen. I'm not a real fisherman. 
I mean, you, you got some nice boats, but it, it, it's hot and it's stinky and I just, it's not comfortable. You may enjoy it, but it's not comfortable. Your calling's greater than your comfort. Remember, at some point, every one of us was the paralytic on the mat. Every one of us. And someone brought us to Jesus. You were someone's mission. You were someone's one. Believer, that's for you. Unbeliever, is your soul crushed? Are you broken? Does it feel like life is just pulverizing you? God has a plan to rebuild and renew your life. God has a design. It was his design from the beginning, and sin messes up that design every time. And it breaks us. It, life pulverizes us. And we try to fix that brokenness with our own ways of helping, and we can't. But what we realize is sometimes brokenness is good. As a matter of fact, if it's brokenness that leads us to Jesus, it is always good. It may be that God is allowing our soul to be crushed by life so that we will finally see that the only direction we can go is to him. To his gospel. To Jesus. Who died on the cross for our sins. Was buried. Three days later rose from the grave. He, he died for us and he took our sins from us. And we need to repent and believe. Is your soul crushed? He can heal that. He can put it back together. He can make something better than it ever was through your repentance and belief in the gospel as you then, as he molds you and makes you and you begin to recover and to pursue his design. Part of which is to go fishing. Tell other people about how you were healed from your crushed soul through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father, thank you. That you work on our hearts, Lord, that you crush us, believers and unbelievers alike. You crush us in order to put us back together because it is the crushing that we need, the blow of discipline. And God, may we respond in faith to that discipline. May we respond this morning, if we've never trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, in faith to him. God, Work on us today, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So in this time of response, how should you respond? Do you need to trust Christ as your Savior? Do you need to respond in obedience to baptism? Is your soul crushed, believer? Do you need to come and pray about your one? You can pray with Tom over here to my right. You can pray with me to my left or use these rails. But whatever it is you need to do this morning, do it as God works on you. Don't let it pass you by. Don't say he's not talking to me because he's talking to every one of you this morning. Let's stand and let's sing and do business with him today.